Welcome to the Fast Forward Podcast, the series dedicated to answering the issues that keep entrepreneurs awake at night. I'm your host, Patricia Keating, Executive Director at Tech Manchester. Today's episode is all about the press and the media. You've got your product or service built and ready to launch. You want to make a big splash and reach the widest audience possible. But how do you get heard? You don't have a network. You don't know anybody in the media. You've never written a press release. And it's a really noisy space. And you don't have a budget. My guest today will shine a light on both sides of the process. Today we have Kimberly Waldron, co-founder of Sky Parlor, PR and content strategy agency for international payments and e-commerce industry, and Sarah Bellew, content editor here at UK Fast and formerly broadcast journalist at Global Radio. Welcome, ladies. Thanks. Welcome. Thank you. Nice to be on this side for once. <laughs> you're you're the you're the secret uh, secret weapon in our podcast, Sarah. Usually behind the scenes. Yeah. So great to have you on today. But Kimberly, let's start with you. Um, we want to find out a little bit about, uh, we'd like to know a little bit about our guests and what your expertise is and what you bring to the table. So could you tell us a bit about you and your career in PR? So I started my uh, career in marketing and PR in the Northern Quarter in Manchester, promoting unsigned bands, um, musical acts um, in and around the city. Um, then moved to a full-service creative agency, um, again in Manchester, in the heart of the Northern Quarter, in the creative space, before taking a role for a little while in-house at a technology business as head of product marketing. Um, very quickly decided, wanted to do something um, independently, had met a great colleague um, at the in-house role, we kept in touch, and an opportunity presented itself for us to go um, solo and, and to start up an agency, a PR and content agency, which 10 years ago, um, we're now 10 years in, and it's gone from a small two-person agency to a, an international business. That's amazing. So that's Sky Parlor. You started that back in 2009 with um, Angela. Yeah. Angela Yor. Angela Yor, yeah. And um, how did you meet her? We both worked. We about? worked together. Actually, Angela was working at the company I went to in-house, um, mm-hmm. and I joined her there, and after she left, we stayed in, we stayed in touch, and an opportunity came up for us to work together on a project, and it went from there. Just clicked. Yeah, yeah we, we decided that um, we, were, we weren't going to work as freelancers. We decided, no, we want a brand. As marketeers, we wanted mm. to create a brand and a reputation and live kind of what we preached. So yeah. um, we had a brand within a week. Amazing. And in our first pitch after that. And you focused very much on the uh, e-commerce and fintech and international pay. How did that come about? Why that particular industry? That was where our network was. Firstly, it was where both of our networks um, resided, as, as that's where we met at a payments company. And second of all, we can look back now and say, we knew this was going to happen. We knew this fintech boom was going to take place. Um, we didn't, but we recognised that there was an opportunity for um, a very specialist creative agency, a PR agency, serving the financial services technology space, simplifying the message, connecting mm-hmm. more on a human level with audiences, talking about the why rather than the technical products. So we recognised that gap, went for it. Uh, ten years later, we've got um, international clients as far afield as Munich, Palo Alto, um, Jakarta, and the fintech space is growing exponentially every year. So yeah. we made a good call back then. <laughs> yeah. And we haven't even touched on the word crypto, but we're not no, going to, that's not, not today. Not today. <laughs> Um, and you've touched on some really interesting things there. Um, you know, Sarah and I were talking, preparing for this podcast earlier about that simplification. Entrepreneurs don't have really any experience of dealing with the media. Ultimately, PR leads to um, marketing, which leads to sales, which is really what they're in it for. Um, but the idea of having a PR strategy, even using the words PR strategy, can really scare the bejesus out of uh, most people that haven't done it before. Um, it did for me back at, back in, uh, in our wee day days. Um, so for someone that's just starting out, and that's really the audience of people that are listening to that, where do they start? I think, first of all, it's um, having understanding the difference between other forms of marketing and PR, mm-hmm. and then where they fit together. So um, whether it's advertising, for example, that's you um, paying and investing in representing yourself in a specific chosen way. 
PR is about organically connecting with your audience through a variety of channels in kind of a believable, um, natural way. So for you might choose to post an ad in the local newspaper, and that is a one-off, you know, we're investing this many, it can be thousands, into mm. a, a, an advertisement that carries one, two, maybe three of your core messages and sales messages. If you want to embark on a PR campaign, it takes more time. You know, you need to think about the message, the type of content that you want to produce to seem authentic, um, and then the channel that you wish to push that out through. So that might be one of your spokespeople or one of your team speaking at an event. It might be an affiliation to an organisation or a representation of one of your success stories through a case study. Um, so it's about the relationship you want to create in the longer term with your audience um, influencers or other stakeholders and fundamentally PR is about third-party endorsements so if you for example if you pay a blogger um, to blog or to post on um, Instagram or similar about your product that's advertising if you send somebody an example of your product perhaps invite them to an event um, then they decide to say I enjoyed that this is a great product that's PR because they're motivated by the quality or the relevance of what you do or sell to recommend and endorse you themselves. So, yeah, yeah it's, more, it's about credibility, really. It's more yeah, independence, and that's a very subtle difference, isn't it, between, I don't know, sending something to a celebrity saying, can you wear this and post this, and you can keep it, it's worth like a thousand pounds or whatever, um, or, yeah, inviting people to check out your product or whatever and then taking it upon themselves to write pieces on it. Yeah, I mean, then there are two types of PR, I guess. There's one that supports a, a strong sales strategy and is timed alongside uh, marketing and paid-for activity mm-hmm. um, that can help support lead nurturing or lead generation. And then there's brand-building PR, which is a longer-term, longer-burn about the type of organisation you want to be and the values you want to represent and that longer-term relationship you want to build with potential customers, partners, investors, whatever that might be. Yeah. Um, is there room for entrepreneurs at this stage, you know, fairly early on, to be able to do both? Yes. Even I if think, they're trying to do it themselves? I, I think so. I think it's, again, it comes back to understanding the difference, understanding the value PR can bring and getting the timing right. Because if you want to go into a PR campaign, you want to launch a product and you hope that it's going to be a successful PR campaign if you have the right internal team or the right agency working with you that'll be a success but is that the right time for that success to take place you know if you're launching a product but you're perhaps still going through an investment round or Mm. you're um testing um some part of your technology do you want people to be yeah picking up the phone at that point is your website ready yeah do you want your website hammered with uh, inquiries yeah so it's choosing what you want to say why you want to say it and when and how Mm. that fits in because it is a temptation to say and it's rightly, rightly so excited about a solution, a service, a product, or um, a development that the business is undergoing. You can keep that piece of information until the time is right for you. Because the thing about PR is you can control the release of that message. Yeah. So just because it's happened yesterday in the business doesn't mean the news has to happen the next day. Yeah. So try to time it around key milestones and, and key um dates in the business where that's going to be important and support another piece of activity because PR is even stronger when it's integrated to other activities. And it sounds like one can feed into the other. So if you are building and that you are building towards having a product release or or a service release and that you are going to have a platform that's ready to take those inquiries and that's what you want ultimately, that's still your goal, you can do that brand PR and start doing those speaking engagements and having spokespeople and you know, raising the profile of the business and what you do before you start really n- drilling down into that actual sales element of it. Exactly. And again, that comes back down to understanding why specifically you're doing PR, because it could be, you know, we've worked with clients before who have said, we do not want one single lead generated from this PR, because <laughs> we are speaking to everybody we know. We're speaking to all the customers that we're speaking to. They're big. They just yeah. needed one or two big hitters. But because they worked in the security space, um, online security space, they needed the credibility. So they needed the to be involved in the discussion about regulation. They needed to be involved in the discussion about um, data security, um, GDPR. They needed to be a credible voice in the market, but they didn't want lead generation. 
So everything we chose to do that was PR-related was about guidance, knowledge, yeah. uh, content, about having leaders Clear in the space. Yeah. yeah. Whereas on the other hand, you know, we have we work with businesses that they are after lead gen. And so then it's when they're launching the marketing campaign, we need to be supporting that with, again, with articles in the right publications, with spokespeople at events, with that kind of activity, so that everything's working in tandem. Yeah. I think it's quite an easy perception to think, Something's happened, let's write a press release, let's push it out. Mm. And perhaps that's good housekeeping, you know, keep keep the news flow going, but it's about thinking a little bit more tactically. Um, how can I promote my business? It might be that you want to be involved in a, a webinar or a podcast discussion yeah. and start to slowly build up that credibility in the spokespeople and the organisation before you start announcing um, developments or investment or products. So it adds to the authenticity of those products, doesn't it? If, on, if people already know the brand and have, there's a trust element to and it. And authenticity is, is key. And it also comes back down to the fact that PR can be, really it takes three to six months to see any results from a PR campaign. And when, when I say results, I don't mean featured results. You know, you might send a press release out pitching a feature, pitching an idea and it gets covered tomorrow. But then it might take three to six months for the churn of activity and the you know regularity of, the presence in the media to actually have a positive impact on the business it's kind of saying what you want to say in five different ways through five different channels and then saying it again so making sure that you're kind of making that contact regular contact and connection with the audience sounds like we're talking about um uh, some of the parts of a pr strategy and the first one seems to be before you even start talking about audiences purpose what's the purpose of what you're actually doing or why are you why are you doing it what's your objective um, as well as then the other end of the the other end, which is how do you measure the mm-hmm. results? And we'll, we'll come to that in a in a bit. But it sounds like the the purpose seems to be the first step that any any uh, anybody should be thinking about. Yeah, and and if that purpose is a simple one, if the purpose is we're doing a great job and we want that credit, we want some kudos and we want some recognition, that's fine. I think it's um, more powerful mm-hmm. when you think in a bigger picture. Why does our audience need to know about this? Why will this motivate our customers? Do they feel the same as we do about this this subject? Mm-hmm. Um, are there gaps in the market that by talking about these issues, by then bringing in our message about our business, people are going to recognise, identify with that and then want to know more? Um, or are, do you have a genuine cause? You know, then there's taking things wider. Mm. Is there a broader cause that an organisation might want to be part of? I mean, we um, and my business partner especially strongly supports um, women in the e-commerce and, and fintech space. Yeah. So even though you know we're a creative PR agency, one of our causes is is working for equality um, and representation of women in the space that our clients work in. Yeah. So um, we do get some business because of that, because you know female executives want to work with a creative agency that recognise that that's an issue. So it's about values, aligning values, exactly. And things like that. So let's move on a little bit further. So we've um, we've worked out what our purpose is, but now we need to find our audience. And the end user, obviously, is ultimately the audience, but they'll be using different... Uh, they will read different publications, listen to different podcasts, whatever it might be. Um, how does... Uh, you know, I think it's that... it's We were talking about being a very busy fool earlier in terms of if you did write a press release and then you push it out to everyone... If I wrote a press release on a fintech product and then pushed it out to every publication in the whole of the UK and can't understand why caravans today didn't run it. It reminds me of that scene in Notting Hill when Hugh Grant goes, you know, to to review the film and it's all about space. And, you know, he's like, where are you from, horse and hound? Well, you know, it's it's, it's that. So it's all about, for me, as a former journalist, is doing your research, 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 the publications Mm -hmm. that you want to send your message to because it's unbelievable the amount of times that... So, for example, when I was working at Capital Radio, so the audience is very young, um, you know, very music, very kind of very hip, very now, and you get people, um, PR agencies or or individuals, organisations phoning you up about, oh, have you heard about our new product for hearing aids in the over 70s? (laughs) Well, you know, of course we're not going to be interested and and run something like that, you know, completely wrong audience, but they then feel or sound dejected when when we say no no sorry that's not for us and the yeah. amount of the amount of phone calls that I had to put down saying no 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 sorry that's not for us you, you know wrong audience um and it's all about you know it, that step would be resolved if people just listened or read mm. and did their research before yeah. phoning a particular organization 
So it was really like preparing, you know, entrepreneurs get knocks yeah. every day from every corner. And, and understanding so, it because, you know, yeah. and, and if, you know, it's an unnecessary one. My, my background is very much radio based. And, you know, you even look at the talk shows like, um, and the national talk shows like Radio 5 Live, for example. And, you know, the programming during the day is, is so different um, during those programs. So listen to all of those programs. And is it, is it that you want to target the producers from the breakfast show? Or do you want to go for the afternoon show where it might be more about kind of entertainment based, for example, or, um, you know, the evening show or, or a more specific show on that, on that network mm. um, and it's all about kind of really drilling down and doing your research and you're going to be much more successful if you're hitting the right producers and the right person at the end of that phone and the same with the right kind of content so if you have a, a news story and you think i'm going to make the front page of the financial times with this investment we've had you know it's a million pounds that is not going to going to happen you know it's setting your expectations as well mm. in terms of the type of publications that are going to be interested and the type of news you've got so if you've made an appointment or you've recruited somebody that you're proud to have on your team and adds value to the to the business and the profile, when you're approaching journalists um, or publications to then run that story, identify where in that publication it's going to be relevant. You know, it's not going to be a feature. It's yeah. not going to be a back page Q&A. could progress to that, but really it's going to be a news nib on, on the news page or on the Movers yeah. and Shakers page. So it's exactly as Sarah said, it's, you know, identifying the sort of um media outlet that you that you're targeting but then tailoring the content and really drilling down one size fits no one now when it comes to content you know especially digital content Mm. you know it might be that it's not always about a press release you know you could be suggesting um a journalist writes about a specific feature or a specific issue that you provide them with the bones of a story and a spokesperson yeah so it's not as simple always as, as just writing a press release and then ultimately what you want to be doing is creating relationships with those influential media outlets. And if you are sending them inappropriate, con- not inappropriate, but irrelevant yeah. content, um, that's not going to help with those longer term relationships. Yeah. So let's uh, let's talk a bit about that then in terms of, you know, they're, it's the first time that they're knocking the door and we'll come back to building relationships in a, in a minute. Um, but how do you catch the eye of that journey? Because I think what you were saying there a minute ago in terms of you know the movers and shakers page is that you're making it as easy as possible for the journalist or the content editor, whoever it might be, to use your content. Um, so if we look at breaking down you know, your perfect press release um, or release of whatever, whatever it might be that you're doing, um, you know, what, does that, what does that look like you know, from start to finish? What does a perfect press, when you're prepping one, what does it look like to you? I mean, in the first instance, when you are so busy and you're sat at a desk editing a programme, um, the first thing that you're going to see come in is the headline. Um, so it's really, you've done all your research, you've done all your prep, you know your message. Well, tell your message in that headline. It needs to be a few words long. And actually, I spoke to um, one of the editors of ITN recently, and, and they put it across really well. So if you can't say the headline in the bongs of the IT and News at 10... <laughs> then it's too long or your message isn't right and you need to have a rethink because that's what's going to come in on your inbox and that's what's going to make you open it and read further. So once you've got your headline, secondly, your message needs to be so clear in the first few sentences. Again, time is of the essence with anyone working in the media. You need to be able to scan, even if it's bullet-pointed. I, you know, I would never mind a bullet-pointed press release. It doesn't need to be written out in you know, fantastic English. One thing I will say is make sure your spelling is right because I've had so many press releases <laughs> in and the, the spelling mistakes in the first few words. Well, as soon as I see on. that, you know, it's all about... I have to make, you know, you have to make those decisions really quickly. So if there's spelling mistakes, I just, you know, it goes bin, delete, delete, delete. So it's it's getting your message really clearly laid out, you know, well written, but it doesn't have to be long form. It can be bullet point, as I said. Does bullet um, point matter, though, from a radio point of view versus a print point of view? Because, you know, I've seen, you know, in press publications, mm. um, you know, press releases that are just there verbatim yeah. have just been copied and pasted in. Um, which there's obviously an advantage to that as well. So where is it, I guess, again, it depends on knowing your audience, you know, bill appointment for radio. Yeah, maybe you know, writing, written... writing it out for print journalists and your print publications. Mm. Um, but again, it really depends on, on what you're putting across because if you've got something that actually would be 
better suited to have a conversation with someone. It might just be that conversation starter. Um, if you're talking about something that is quite complex in fintech, for example, um, it, it might be kind of that you you lay out your why and your message and say, you know, I'm, I'm available for, a, for an interview. Let's have a discussion about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might want to write out your quotes in long form so that they are able to kind of take your quotes verbatim off, off your press release. Mm-hmm. Cut out the jargon. That's another big tip. The amount of acronyms, um, abbreviations. You know, I know you're going to know your subject inside out, but not everybody does. Obviously, journalists work with, you know, tons of different subjects and different organisations on a daily basis. So if you're writing in all this kind of acronym, and I'm sure you see this, Kimberly, in your field. working with tech clients. Absolutely. So it's it's cutting out that jargon and making sure that you you know your your nan can understand it you know mm. your niece whoever it might be and if you need to I think we've said this on a previous podcast if you need to test it out on somebody that's outside of your industry and outside of your field and make sure that they can understand it and read it and they get your point yeah you know and I think for me that's that's the main thing just keep it short it's making it easy isn't mm. it it's, it's, it's making it really you have easy. to make them think and try and work it out it's like I don't have time I just yeah. mark that. Kimberly, what would you add to that? Um, ju- just the point um, to build on what Sarah said is that it's kind of been appreciating the fact that you're sending a piece of information to a person that you're trying to convince to then cover your story. Mm. And something that we try to lay out um, immediately with, with our clients is you're not necessarily writing directly to the person you want to be speaking to. So you're not right, don't let's not produce a piece of content that is selfishly you getting in all of your sales messages, all of your, con- you know, all of your product information. You're not speaking directly to your end user, con- user at this yeah. point. You're writing to a media professional who has a busy day who we have to convince that this is interesting enough to cover. Um, so it's about being selfless and thinking, what am I going to do to convince this person? How are they going to get on board and get excited about what I'm talking about? If they then want to request more technical information, if they want to speak... You know, we will make them aware that we're available and we can discuss further. But exactly as Sarah said, it's about understanding who um, that person on the other end of an email or the phone is and what their drivers are and what they need to be able to create a story. I mean, there is um, a situation, especially in the business-to-business press, where journalists and media titles are time-starved. So if you can produce a feature and you can help them by producing quality content, then that becomes a bit of a partnership mm. with that publication. And that's going to building relationships. But that's going into the realms of, of building a relationship. And you won't do that if you're firing jargon, yeah. acronyms, things you want to get off your chest, you know, yeah. to a busy journalist. And, and things have changed in the last 10 years in terms of the amount of time um, that journalists have available to be dealing with that. And it's about appreciating that. I think uh, probably I have an example of that, I guess, of an experience I've been through here. So last year we did the the woman mentoring morning um, for International Women's Day. And we recorded a video off that, which we posted out on our social channels. And then off the back of that on, I think it was St. Paddy's Day or the day before St. Paddy's Day, three o'clock in the afternoon, we got a phone call from um, one of the BBC journalists down in Media City and wanted to talk about... um, uh, confidence in women in the business uh, in, in business because uh, what do you call her Alexander Burke had made some comment about being torn down you know by trolls and whatever and talking about sort of that whole aspect of you know um, you know uh, confidence issues with women so they, ne- they needed somebody and they'd seen me on uh, a video and I was able to string two words together and <laughs> Um, so like within three hours, I was down in Media City doing a, a live uh, drive time radio broadcast. And then off the back of that, we did a good job. So they rung us back a couple of more times. for Perf- Perfect example of yeah. kind of earned PR content and earned relationships through providing quality content that's relevant. Yeah. And, yeah. It's, and it's the issue of availability, isn't it? You know, don't put your message out there. <clears throat> and send it to publications expecting them to publish it if you're then not going to be available. Um, I've had so many examples of, you know, that press release. So it cuts through the noise, you open it and you go, yeah. oh, actually, this is this is really interesting, it's relevant, they've it's got topical. a great point, it's topical, I really want to speak to them. Phone them up and you get somebody on the other end of the line that says, well, actually, sorry, we haven't got anyone available until next week. Well, you know, media organisations don't work like that. Expect to be called yeah. that day and appear that day. You know, yeah. that's how you need to be working. And I think that 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 example I've given you, you know, they they rang, no, they they, twi- they messaged me on Twitter, 
And so then they said, could they give us a call? So we spoke to them at three o'clock, had this conversation with them. They were like, all right, great, you know, come on to the show. And I went, brilliant, when do you want me on? They were like, uh, in two hours. And I was like, uh, okay. Because like, I literally just had this full conversation about confidence in women, so I couldn't turn around and say no. And it's all about making... But it was just like, can I go, let's just go, you know, let's not, let's do it. It's about making, as you've said, Kimberly, a few times, it's about making that journalist's life a lot easier mm. and if you can do that and they don't have to ring around and, and you're available and it's also a lot of these big media organizations will then have you know a contacts database of mm-hmm. people that can speak or um you know have or experts in in certain subjects and you know it's all about getting in that database so next time they need to speak to somebody that's um an expert in you know confidence in women they can put in confidence and up pops yeah. your name. And, yeah. oh, you know, oh, actually, Trish, we can see from last time yeah. that she was available, she was a great speaker, we'll give her a call Probably again. Probably giving us a rating or something. But that's where, you know, selecting the right spokespeople comes in as well. Mm. So it's not always necessarily the CEO. You know, it's not always necessarily the founder. It's who's going to, who's actually good at coming up with sound bites, who yeah. is a good speaker, who is relatable, you know, and who has a passion for, for what it is they're going to be talking about. It's not yeah. always, you know, the CEO or the technical person. It's, you know, accepting who's and, and understanding whose strengths lie where and who's going to connect most with the media and the audience. Yeah. Because it is a big temptation, you know, to go, it's my business, it's my organisation, I'm the spokesperson. And sometimes that is the case. But, you know, you've just given a fantastic example of, of doing something engaging, relatable, um, that then leads on to that person becoming a valued spokesperson and commentator. So it's, you know, up front deciding how are we going to, how do we want to be represented, who perhaps represents us best to this audience, Mm -hmm. who's a good spokesperson for business announcements, and kind of broadening your your spokesperson remit. And then, especially for smaller smaller organisations, opening up that discussion across leaders in different areas in the business also does build that credibility and depth um, and thought leadership. There's a piece in there, I guess, in terms of that story, in terms of what happened at between three o'clock and five o'clock, <laughs> as well as me having a nervous breakdown. I was wondering. But, um, but, you know, being able to actually perform well at that, because I'd never done a radio uh, live, anything like that before. And, um, you know, I think the, the secret to that coming off so well with no knowledge of what they were going to ask or anything like that um, was preparation, was that two-hour window intensely working out, you know, what, things that they might want to talk about that we might have a a voice on Um, and then rehearsing that, rehearsing those uh, particular questions and it was Tim Parker, the PR manager here and he came along with me and just having that to sit and have a cup of coffee with, you know, for half an hour before we had to go into the um, into Media City and him just drilling me down with, like, typical questions that they might ask to, to make me think about what I could say to those questions. Now, did they ask me those exact questions? No. Um, but they asked me something that was there, thereabouts, and I was able to pull stuff out of my brain then, um, you know, because it's all about, you know, we did that, um, we'd done the podcast last week with Marin and uh, Sarah from uh, Paris Myatt, and uh, they talked about sort of the sort of the the mind controls the body, the body controls the outcome, and all of that kind of stuff. And but when your mind and hormones and you know all that stuff's going crazy and you can't control yourself, but by having that preparation, I was able to calmly pull that stuff out and, and deliver that. So preparation, I think, if you get down that path, and this is more of a pull sort of press thing that we're talking about now, where journalists are reaching out to you and you're reacting. Um, I think that's definitely really important. I think um, probably spoken about it. In a in an upside down way, but um, preparation mm. at, before embarking on um, a PR campaign or a PR program is vital. So we, we you know we spoke a little bit about understanding your why, but then it's understanding and building together with the you know as a team as a leadership team if you're if you're keeping it in house or with you know perhaps a, a freelance person that you might be working with or an agency depending on what stage you're at is thinking what how do we build a believable storyboard about our business from the first day we go with one press release or one article mm-hmm. not just thinking about news flow news this you know this announcement that development actually how do you build that believable storyboard about your business that um people can buy into mm-hmm. and that you know we usually start with creating a messaging framework and that might be a one pager and it, within that messaging framework you're kind of positioning yourself this is us, this is what we do, this is why we're important, but what is the context of our business and where do we sit within, you know, 
topical issues? Where do we sit with developments? Do we sit with where do we sit with regulation, technology? You know, thinking about where you sit in the broader um, ecosystem, and then yeah. that helps you develop those stories. Um, and it's about controlling the message. So, as we were saying, it's is that it, a visual thing, a message framework? What for, does that look like for us? It's it's a it's, we call it a message in house. Yeah. So we actually build, you know, a message in house. What's your, you know, what are the foundations? And mm-hmm. what are your core messages and values as a business? How does that relate when you start letting people inside that house? You know, when people are in the front door, what are you talking about when you're, you know, um, in having a cocktail in the parlour? Yeah. You know, when when you're watching television, what does that relate to that comes through in the media, in the in the macro environment? Yeah. And then, you know, building that up to, to the roof and, and the smoke that's coming out of the chimney, what signals are you reacting to in the market? So... So that people, it's, it's all about that feeling, isn't it? So when people hear a brand or as they get to know a brand, when they think about a brand, you know, what it invokes in them. So, you know, that you can think about, um, you know, those issues. Um, yeah. I can't remember, but you immediately think it's about the shoes for the homeless, isn't it? And yeah. Stand for Socks, one of our own startups. Yeah. Um, you know, it's free socks for the homeless for every sock that you buy. Um, and it's it's that kind of so where people stand on society issues. Where do they stand? It's that glass box, I guess, business um, modeling that we're all living in now, where customers want to know every aspect of your views on on everything. And I think millennials, that sort of millennial generation, it's much more important to them. They will make decisions based on those types of things. Yeah, it's like the you know famous um, TED speaker and marketer Simon Sinek. He mm. says, you know, people buy don't buy what you do; they buy why you do it. Yeah. And I think that that is, that is becoming increasingly true. So we're, we've just talked about all this great work that we can do uh, as entrepreneurs and as PR agencies and, and whatever freelancers or whatever that you use. But how do you measure the results? How do you know that it's actually made a difference? Kimberly? this is definitely one for you. For a business of any size, it's important to justify return on investment, whether that's investment of time or investment of, of money. And PR is a particularly tricky one to measure. Um, there's lots of tried and tested ways of actually measuring the value of PR, whether that's equivalent advertising spend, whether it's going deeper into something called the Barcelona principles, which measure different aspects, whether it's just looking at numbers and engagement. Um, but I think for any organisation that's just embarking on a PR programme, it really is very, very personal um, and and close to that business itself. So what do you want to achieve um, from PR and how can you put some kind of numerical and also more tactile measurements against that? Mm. You know, it might be that you want to reach so many people via a particular channel or it might be that you want to just measure your brand engagement and your brand profile Mm -hmm. or it might be something as simple as a competitor has um, often appears in this publication so you also want to be in that publication more regular so I think it's having a mixture of you know like numerical and kind of more anecdotal or personal um results to you and then after every six months tweak them you know are they still relevant do we still want to be featured there actually can we uplift that um and eventually you know you will get to get get a set of measurements that are right for you and Mm. right for your organization it's not broad brush um so PR is, is a tricky one to measure and it has to be personal to your business, but it absolutely needs to be measured. So let's go back to the press release because uh, I want to make sure that we've got that nailed down for people who are trying to write their first one today. So we know we need a snappy headline that fits in the bongs. We need it to be very clear and concise in the first paragraph. Simple language, no jargon. Um, some facts and figures, but don't don't drown it. Don't make it a blizzard of numbers. Um, what else? Is there any final other pieces that a, a good, you know... A, press release for print or, or audio would or or video would, would work well? Well, I think that's a good summary, but two, just two things I would add is, based on what we were just talking about, is if you can contextualise why that's important. Mm-hmm. You know, if you can say, and this is where it sits yeah. in, this, in this sector, in this market, this is why it's important that this is now. Yeah. Um, and then, second of all, we touched on it earlier, but think about what, you, what brief you're sending along with the press release. So you may you're you're distributing a press release, um, whether it's via you know via email or attachment. What are you saying in your brief to? Um, okay, so you need to explain that the fact that there's two different documents. What are you talking about? So when you distribute a press release, <laughs> yeah. um, you wouldn't you know necessarily just put a headline and then send it. You know, yeah. it would be um, there'd be a cover email or a brief to the journalist to explain so the press release should be an attachment so just as this is crystal clear yeah we're, we're trying to make the lives of journalists easier yeah. around the world um 
press releases should be an attachment. Or attachment or, 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 yeah. or, or in the body. body. Or in I the mean, body. We, we would usually send them in the body of an email yeah. because, you know, it can be off-putting to receive an attachment. There might well, be... viruses and all that crap. Yeah, exactly. So right. um, we would usually send... And where does the brief sit then? Above the brief. Okay, and what just does that Just your introduction. Like? Yes. Just literally just your introduction. Hi, I'm Trish from Tech Manchester. We run this for loads of startups. And this is a sentence to why... I guess to something to precede what you're, yeah. what's going to come below. You know, this yeah. is why this is this is what I'm sending you, and this is why it's important, and this is so why it's almost like personalising it. it. Yeah, exactly. So it's, exactly because rather that. than exactly just getting that. a generic, I don't know who this person is. It's just launched straight into a story, which is very interesting. But I've, it's not personalised. So you've yeah. just sent that to 15 million people. It's all to do with that building relationships mm. again. It all comes back to that because you know you don't want to receive an email from a stranger. You know, that's just kind of going straight into the bar. You know, yeah. it's kind of like you, you wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't come yeah. to you every, you know, every day and without saying, oh, hi, Trish, how, how are you today? <laughs> but all of that, yeah, yeah, you know, I wouldn't launch hi. into, you know, the body of a meeting thing. without yeah. saying hello at the beginning, you know, so yeah. it's, all of, it's all of that. That's okay. And that's how I just want to break that down for the yeah. listeners. It's yeah. like, when you say brief, what are you talking about? Yeah, so for, for us, we might, because yeah. we, you know, if you get to know the journalists as well, it might be something that they've covered recently that you think is interesting. Yeah. Um, and they're not necessarily going to revisit that subject because that story's run and they filed it and it's happened. But you, if you've got something to add or your story yeah. is relevant to something that seems to be... And that demonstrates it's research too doesn't it mm. so if you're like hey Jim I heard you do a story on X well here's this actually about Y that actually feeds really nicely into that and adds to that story blah 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 and blah. I know you write yeah. a regular column on, on this so we've yeah. got some information that might help nice okay anything else the only thing I would add if if you're especially if you're sending to um, print media but actually you know with digital media as well now some good high res quality pictures particularly in digital that's the first thing that and practically, it gives you more media space if they're going to publish a story and run, mm. a, run images or even an infographic or some kind of digital content along with it. Then yeah. you, you're actually gaining more space Inches. in that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, it's also an opportunity to, you know, to engage. You know, don't just send something. You know, ask: Is it relevant? Do you think this is something you could use? Yeah. Do you see this could fit in? Yeah. You know, would you be interested in speaking to a spokesperson? I mean, ad- advice we always give to you know people you know, coming to work for us that are entering the PR industry is, you know, don't be a person, don't yeah. be wooden, don't be transactional. Yeah. You know, ask, you know, is this something that you would consider covering or does it fit with your agenda? Is there anything in your editorial calendar that's coming up? Make it a conversation that can be responded to, if, if yeah. that journalist has time. Yeah. But at least leave the door open for... Even just plants the seed, doesn't it? If you're saying, you know, if this fits any conversation or we've always got a spokesperson so then they know they can come back and yeah. ask. Yeah. There's a habit of thinking, I've got my media list, I've got my content, I'm going to send it and press send and now it's gone. Yeah. And it's kind of a one-way yeah. push. But it's just, again, involving in that conversation. In that first um, press release and brief that you're sending out, so we've got now our perfect press release and it's ready to go um uh the next step is i guess is how do you find out so, and you've worked out which publications or which where your target audience lives or what they read um and that's great so like i know for example men business desk great how, but who do i send it to there or any another publication how do i make sure that it gets into the hands of the right person without knowing who that person is from the beginning what would um you say sarah what would you say in terms of um that like Again, don't, you, don't be afraid out. to pick up the phone. I mean, practice your message succinctly, like your elevator pitch. So mm. make sure you can say what you need to say in two sentences. You know, I've got this release on X, Y, and Z. I want to tell you about this. It's about my company, blah, blah, blah. Um, and don't be afraid to pick up the phone and ask for... I mean, obviously, if you know it's a business release, ask to speak to the business desk yeah. and, and then summarise what you need to say. Um, yeah. you know, it's, a sim- it's really as simple as that. A lot of this is kind of common sense stuff, but don't be afraid to pick up the phone. You might get knockbacks, you might be told the journalist is busy, et cetera, et cetera, but, you know, polite persistence will pay off. Yeah. I think, um, you, you know, as an agent, you know, as an agency, we spend thousands of pounds a year on databases and mm. things being kept up to date, but mm. in, a, in the type of world and the, the digital age that we live in, you can find the right people to speak to online as well. Yeah. You know, if you're reading articles and you... Um, there's a journalist or a publication that you value and that you read. It, it, the content is there. The author is there. It, um, you can actually do your research and find the right person that's writing about things that you're writing about. Yeah. And it can be as simple as if you don't have the access to a, you know, a huge database, just doing some desk research, mm, yeah. typing in the search terms that you would want somebody to come across your business if they typed. 
and look at who is writing organically about those subjects. And you change it to news. Mm. Yeah, and, yeah. And and that's a really just, good one. It is just a, a, a case of a bit of rolling your sleeves up and creating yeah. yourself a list, maybe 10 to 15 people. I think it's going back to doing those one or two things well, because I think it's that perception of, you know, you need to get your, pre- you know, your press release needs to be picked up by, you know, you send it to hundreds of people and it needs to be picked up by, you know, 10 publications. I think for people starting out, it's, yeah, it's working out who those 10 or 15 people are and get to know them well and, uh, and just get it published once somewhere and then start, start from there. And, and is that just going back to the relationship? And, and thinking about who who's going to cover your business in the long term, you know, think a little bit about offering something to a journalist. It doesn't always, again, like I said, have to be transactional. So, you might come across some statistics, a partner of yours, or somebody might have done some research. You might mm. have something to offer yeah. that isn't just news about your organisation. So, if um, you send out a press release and fantastically gets picked up gets published it gets a good response the following week send you know thanks for the thanks for picking up on our story um i don't know if you might be aware if you're still writing on this there's some great stats that are coming out next week or you know actually think about how what you've got to offer it's interesting the transferable skills that we're now kind of talking about because those are things that people would quite commonly do in sales Mm -hmm. you know sales people and, and account managers would develop relationships by adding value yeah yeah well we would call it a media selling yeah. So it's, you know, you're exactly right. It's yeah. about that. And is that well received, Sarah, on the other side, do you think? It can be. Again, it just depends what you're, you're selling in. If it, if, it has, if it does add value, yeah. especially if it's research and it's credible research, then 100%. But I would always say there's no harm in picking up the phone, in sending that message and saying, are you interested in this? Because at the end of the day, what's the worst that's going to happen? Yeah. They're going to say, no, not now, but, you know, maybe in the future. Just keeps you in the forefront yeah, of their mind, doesn't yeah. it? So let's take this uh, a step further. So you wake up in the morning and you turn on the TV or turn on your Twitter or whatever it might be and you see a negative news story about your business, whether it's about a service or something that, that's happened. But it's definitely the other side. It's that you didn't want this to be in the press or you didn't even know that this was a press thing that's going to happen. I mean, I think the, the term that we are using now in this sort of modern age is, is crisis communication, which seems to be a very big, growing area, and everyone is affected by it. Facebook, obviously, is one of the best known Cambridge Analytica and all the subsequent fallout that has been happening from that. Um, what, in that circumstance, um, should a founder do? Sort of, you know, minute one, they've just discovered this story, and every minute counts, I guess. What would you recommend, Kimberly? Well, what do I you think, recommend? I think when it comes down to, again, working in the tech space, especially in the financial services space, where, you know, there's a lot, you know, there must have been, I don't know the exact figure, but there were 30-plus stories last year on large data breaches relating to financial information. So, again, it comes down to preparation in advance, acknowledging that you're operating in a space where this is a potential Mm. area for a crisis but the way that we approach it with our clients is um there might be a crisis situation but the service that we offer or or the way to approach that is disaster aversion so how do you prevent a crisis becoming a complete disaster right um is that that's a very subtle difference is it crisis versus disaster yes because you know we accept, as you said, we live in this glass box society. People want to know what's happening. There's freedom of information. You know, mm. new, large news channels are battling with small um, news, even just Twitter accounts that are yeah. breaking things on the ground quicker. Um, so it's having a plan in place and accepting that living every day with the thought that this will happen. You know, it might not. Yeah. But kind of having that hard baked into your comm strategy that, you know, this could happen. Identifying what are the top five likely um crisis points that could happen is it going to be that you're going for investment and you know an investor pulls out or is it going to be that your you know your technology fails is it going to be that there's a you know your data is hacked what what could be because when when you or even what we were talking about earlier where you do this great pr send all these customers to your website and it crashes you know whatever it might be yeah yeah and i think it's identifying and when you make things realistic and you identify they're often perhaps not as bad as you think they could be um because for us just not not online Mm -hmm. now is that we do work with kind of huge businesses and we have crisis comms plans that we put in our drawer that we we have the whole war room team yeah and we have somebody who's responsible it's almost like a fire drill yeah and because a lot of our clients work with banks they work with big tech providers yeah so we have to have that so i'm just trying to think how i relate that to yeah 
startup. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to think because the chances of... It's about risk register, isn't yeah. it? It's like, what's the five things that are the yeah. biggest risk of your business? Make a plan. You know, yeah. it could be two bullet and points. And don't, don't panic. Like, as you say, I think it's the don't panic. Yeah. You know, and actually what seems to be the end of the world, everything is closing around you to you, might not mm. be no. the case on the sort of on the outside and the and scheme of things. Our recommendation, you know, to smaller clients is always to to be transparent and to be honest and to be genuine. You know, you don't want to look back to things like the Eurostar disaster or the Shell disaster where, you know, they rolled out spokespeople, you know, wooden spokespeople to um, kind of deliver corporate lines that showed no empathy or understanding for how people might be feeling um, just to do their job. Yeah. You know, or, or you look back to some of the emissions um, crisis that came up for some of the large car manufacturers in the last 18 months, two years to 18 months. They didn't say anything, you know, and that would led to speculation and to um, conjecture. So I yeah. think it's about, especially if you're a smaller organisation, you know, your audience is going to be smaller, but that doesn't mean they're going to be less concerned. So it's having that plan up front. What are the five to ten possible crisis that could arise for us yeah what is our approach you know is that transparency you know is it personal and, and if you're at a size where you know you're, you're not dealing with millions of customers or you know hundreds of stakeholders you can manage yeah. that message quite well and yeah. you can be personal and responsive yeah and then identifying the channels you want to communicate through so if, if it's you know um it can be just one. Actually, I, I thought uh, thinking of as an example now, where a client of ours, not again, not huge, um, but they had an issue where they were delivering a part of a piece of technology that was um, <clears throat> came under scrutiny in a broader space for how that was received and developed in terms of people with a certain disability, mm-hmm. and that was just one um, person on Twitter actually, that um, raised this concern, but they were tagging in people left, right and centre. Yeah. Um, and the approach there was, because it was small and a small enough organisation, we were actually able to offer a conversation with the COO and the person responsible for developing that product and actually explaining to them that isn't the case and yeah. this is actually the steps we've gone through to to deliver to that requirement. Um, it might seem like this at a corporate level, but actually we're really working towards it. And to have that dialogue, yeah. you know, that we were able to just nip it in the bud and able to actually give that, respect that person's views, give them the information, yeah. provide them with confidence. And ultimately you want them to become your biggest fan yeah. or your biggest advocate. Yeah. But I think if you're in an early stage business or a small business, you can control it by identifying it up front, deciding the channels and deciding the approach you want to take and who's best to, to lead on that. Owning it. Yeah, owning yeah. it, exactly. That's an easy way of saying it, just just owning it, because we're all used to it now. We're all mm. used to people airing their dirty laundry or dealing yeah. with issues in the in the public domain. It's not as shocking, yeah. but you can handle it badly if you're not prepared. Yeah. I think one of the recent... Uh, I did a talk recently. It was about sort of diversity in IT and why it matters, and I just uh, pulled together a lot of re- examples of things where tech has gone wrong, um, and one of those was the HP web camera that um, followed you about, um, but it didn't recognise, according to a video on YouTube, it didn't recognise people with dark skin. Um, and um, the response, though, from HP was incredibly well handled. I think that's the piece that we found from, the, from researching into it, is that they immediately put their hands up and said, we understand that there may be a problem We've seen X, Y, and Z sort of videos on YouTube, and we're investigating it, and we're going to un- we're going to understand why that's done that. And then they subsequently then released a, a statement in terms of we find that it's in low lighting, etc. These types of s- situations where that happens, and we're going to re- also repair and iterate those to repair it. So that was handled very well, where they immediately acknowledged that there was a problem and what they were going to do to investigate it takes the emotion away you know, yeah. if people are given the logical yeah. information it takes away the emotional reaction whether well, respecting mm. the they're respecting the importance that other people are putting on it whether they feel the same way or not they're recognizing it yeah but i think just it has to come up front as part of that planning that we were talking about a little bit earlier yeah especially if plan you're a technology for, plan business, for a yeah. crisis plan for a crisis and then try to avert disaster if, if you if you know that's likely to happen and live every day that it might happen yeah and you know for it's all relative you know you might not be an organization that makes you know the front page of a national newspaper because something's not quite gone your way but it's just as important if within your still kill your business within your circle yeah it's just as important that that might happen on 
as a response to your blog, or it might yeah. happen on one of your own channels. It could be a statement on LinkedIn. Jared Ratner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How to yeah. kill a business in a week. Yeah. Um, so let's, uh, it's been a really fascinating, I know we've kind of done this upside down, but uh, I think there's been lots of valuable um, content and, and, and tips and guides given today from both of you. Um, so can we wrap up then with sort of what your top tips would be for a founder that, you know, simple things that they can do, what they could do today to make and increase the success of that tomorrow. So Kimberly, let's start with uh, you. In terms of approach, I think firstly, be confident in the fact that you've got something um, interesting to say because it's not all about big brands. You know, the media is just as interested in in what smaller um, or early stage or startup businesses have got to say. So be confident in your message and your relevance to the market. Mm-hmm. Um, I think secondly, as we said, in, understand why you're embarking on PR and what you want to achieve by that, because that'll dictate the message that you include in not just your first press release, but your second press release, your third press release, and any other um, engagement. Uh, And third of all, think about timing. Um, Think about why you're releasing this news, when you're releasing it, and how that relates to other business milestones and objectives, and how that can help drive other activity. Mm -hmm. So kind of confidence, uh, message, and, and timing. Yeah, nice. Sarah, what would you add to that? I'd probably add, think about your audience and then think about the publications that you need to get through to reach that particular audience. So be really relevant and really specific with who you're targeting and who you're approaching. Secondly, in terms of your press release, keep your headline really relevant, really short and really to the point. Make sure your writing is brief. Keep your press release to under 400 words. Thirdly, it would be to contain a really interesting, relevant quote. Don't make your quote the afterthought because if a journalist is going to lift anything out of the release that you're sending, it will probably be the quote. So make that the best part of your press release. Perfect. Thank you very much, ladies. There's been a lot in this and I know from personal experience with the We Do journey that it is a minefield and it is something that does cause a lot of anxiety for entrepreneurs um, so we hope that's answered many of your questions today. Um, we, as you know, love to hear your feedback. So please leave your reviews on SoundCloud and iTunes. And if there are any burning questions that we've missed, please leave them on there and we will continue to try and answer those questions. Um, but hopefully after today's episode, you'll get a better night's sleep. Thank you.